Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Well, we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter number 2 and uh, verse number 11. Uh, for a little context, we're just going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to uh, pick up in verse number 11. Let's pray real quick, okay? Father, we love you, and we just thank you for the opportunity to come uh, together today just to study your word. Father, I pray that you would, with all that's going on around us, that you would protect our country, you'd protect our world from just this virus and give our leaders wisdom and our people, Lord, just common sense in regards to how to take care of themselves. And, and Father, as many churches are not meeting today, Lord, many are online. Um, Father, I just pray that you'd minister to your body and that, Father, as we turn to your word right now, particularly, Father, I just pray that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's go ahead and uh, look in um, Acts 1 through 10, or 2 through 10, and then we'll pick up uh, in verse number 11. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, <clears throat> and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled and said to one another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Cretes and Arabians, do we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God? And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? And others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So, <laughs> um, of course, news about what was happening was beginning to spread. Uh, throughout the community and abroad. I mean, this was uh, um, at this time when it speaks of the multitudes. Uh, it is speaking of the Jews uh, that were mentioned uh, back in, in verse number five uh, when it says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout, devout men out of every nation under heaven. That's the multitude. The crowd was amazed. Uh, they uh, marveled because all of those who were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak with other tongues. These were Galileans. And each of them were hearing what these Galileans, who were perceived as ignorant, uneducated, uh, a, a fisherman region, uh, were able to speak in languages that they could understand in their own native tongue. Now, I, there's been a lot of um, 
speculation as to what exactly happened here. Uh, but it's obvious to me that the apostles were speaking in their own native tongue and the listeners were hearing in their own native tongue. So if you would, I mean, it was a miracle period, but the miracle was more so on the part of the hearer than it was on the speaker. And of course, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard this, uh, <laughs> I've heard this explained so many different ways. Um, uh, none of them really make sense. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here. I mean, they're speaking in their own native tongue and the hearers are hearing in their uh, native tongue. So that's the miracle there. Now, notice, <clears throat> why is this important? Uh, why is it important that we realize who is being addressed here? It's important because we need to understand that this was a Jewish thing that was happening here. Um, I'm trying to get this up on my phone. I do apologize. Um, it just keeps kind of kicking out. All right, so you guys are still there. Um, this was a Jewish event. Um, those who were there were either natural born or they were proselytes. And what this means is they were either natural born Jews or they were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism um, here. Uh, there were no Gentiles, because in verse number 10, it says, and strangers of Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Um, and that's important because this event was ex exclusively for the house of Israel. This was a fulfillment of the culmination of Old Testament prophecies in regards to the Jewish Messiah and the offering of a Jewish kingdom. When we lose sight of that, as I did for years, can I get a testimony there? Um, we start making this a Gentile event and we start calling it the birth of the church. And when I say the birth of the church, I mean the birth of the Gentile church or what we call the body of Christ. Just think about how many denominations have been started simply around this one event. This one event that had nothing to do with the Gentiles or the soon-to-come body of Christ. This was a Jewish event. It was not a Gentile event. This was the culmination of Old Testament prophecies about the coming, the offering of their Messiah, and the ultimate presentation, if you would, of their king and his kingdom. And as we're going to see, of course we know it's going to be rejected. We are, we're blessed with 2020 hindsight. Um, <clears throat> and I think that can affect how we interpret things. <clears throat> because we tend to place what we know into what they were doing. You need to understand these were Jews. 
These were Jews, and we'll get into this a little bit later, who were told not to go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were never referred to as sheep. <laughs> that was a Jewish term. They instead were referred to as dogs, as the heathen. This was a, a Jewish event. Um, and then notice in verse number 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? And others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Notice that there are two responses to this event. There is doubt and there is mocking. Those are the two common responses that we get today when we uh, talk about the things of God. Uh, and of course, I think in our culture, we get far more mocking. <laughs> uh, but um, the word doubt there is not really a negative word. It just means that they were perplexed. It means that they were being, they were a little skeptical. And I think all of us are skeptical, uh, at least those of us who are wise. <laughs> they were a little skeptical. However, the mockers were the ones that had totally rejected what had just happened as being a work of God. And then notice in verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. So now Peter stands up and he addresses the audience. And notice who he addresses, ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem. He is still addressing Jews. How do we know this? Because his orders had not changed. Uh, from Matthew 10, verses 5 through 6, um, they were given a commandment. Look at this right here in uh, Matthew 10, um, verses 5 through 6. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, or into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And of course, saying as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The ones being spoken to here were Jews, not Gentiles. And we and we see further in uh, Matthew chapter number 15 in verse number 24. Notice what it says. <clears throat> Our Lord said, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus came to minister to the house of Israel. In Acts 7.32, I have another verse here. In Acts 7.32, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and dost not behold. Not 7.42, I'm sorry. Uh, then God turned and gave, gave them up to worship the host of heaven as is written, um, ye prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye not offered me slain beast? He's speaking to the house of Israel here. He's not going to the Gentiles at this point. The, the apostles are focused on the house of Israel. The twelve went 
to the house of Israel. That includes Matthias. Paul was the only apostle that went to the Gentiles. And I would contend that it stayed like that until the death of the, all of them. The twelve never turned to the Gentiles. Their entire earthly ministry was to the house of Israel. And it took me too long to realize that Peter wasn't all of a sudden turning to the Gentiles. His ministry never was to the Gentiles. He always went to the Jew. Now notice in verse 15, For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. So now Peter addresses first the mockers to assure them that what they had just witnessed was a true move of God and fulfillment of scripture. I believe that this verse, listen to me here, I believe that this verse is truly, um, how would you say it? This verse is truly the, um, the pivot point for so many errors in the church today. Because we, me, for years, tended to doubt that Peter knew what he was doing and what he was talking about. Peter is not saying this is something sort of like what Joel said or something kind of like what Joel said. Instead, Peter is being very emphatic here. He is saying this is that. This is that. So for us to arrogantly assume 2,000 years removed that Peter was out of line here is absurd. And we went over the commentaries last week where people think that Peter got out of line and appointing Matthias and that he hadn't, he should have waited on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and he cast lots, which means he, he didn't know what he was doing. That's arrogance, folks. And in verse number 17, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith the Lord. Now he is beginning to quote Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. For God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is quoting verbatim. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. It's fulfilled prophecy. You know, many, I mean, it's already happened. It's past tense. I mean, in, in Peter's, well, I wouldn't say past tense. I mean, that part is past tense. In those, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters and you'll seek visions. Now, that's past tense. Those two verses are past tense. They happened at Pentecost. And many failed to see exactly what was happening in this chapter because we've always been taught that the Jews rejected their Messiah in the Gospels by crucifying him. And now the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the church. The body of Christ is being born. No, instead what Peter is doing is for the first time he is offering the kingdom to the nation of Israel. Listen folks, it could not have been offered before the crucifixion. It could not have been offered in the Gospels, let alone rejected. This is a great mis misunderstanding in the modern church today, in my opinion. 
I mean, we looked at Hebrews chapter number 10, 9, verses 15 through 17 last week. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, and by means of his death for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the First Testament, that 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 they which are called might receive the promise of eternal eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is a force only after men are dead, otherwise it has no strength while the testator yet liveth. So he had to die to forgive the sins that were committed under the first covenant before he could offer them the second covenant. Hebrews is a very much misunderstood book in the church today. And like I've told you before, uh, I have seen very few people uh, expand on the book of Hebrews accurately. Now, of course, we know that it ultimately will be rejected. Israel will blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that's spoken of over in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 32 where he says, and, and whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Okay? So they will eventually blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They will reject what happened on the day of Pentecost. And the kingdom will be postponed. Crucifying Jesus, listen to me, was not blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Matthew number 12 clearly says that they would be forgiven for that. I mean, what did the verse say? It says, And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Also, when Christ died on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were forgiven for what they did to the Son of Man because they did it in ignorance. They did not do it knowingly. They did it in ignorance. But instead, what they were about to do was to reject the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were going to blaspheme the Holy Ghost, as mentioned in Matthew chapter number 12. And as we'll see, instead of giving the nation of Israel the judgment that they deserved, he turned to the Gentiles and shut them up in disobedience as an act of grace. It was an act of grace that the body of Christ, that the Apostle Paul was raised up, it was an act of grace because what the Jews deserved for what they did okay, should not have been forgiven. They should have been judged, but they were not. So really, the body of Christ is an act of grace upon the nation of of Israel. Now, notice in verse number 19, <clears throat> and I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Now, while most in the church today will say that Peter was right in quoting Joel 2, 28 and 29, they will readily say he should have stopped there and not proceeded to verses 30 and 31 of the same prophecy. Why? Because those things are still yet future. Has anybody ever heard that? <laughs> Has anybody ever preached that? 
I have. No, Peter knew full well that once Israel had accepted their Messiah, and that is what woulda, shoulda, coulda happened, Daniel's 70th week, what we call the tribulation period, that seven-year period would commence, and that's what he expected. And that's what Joel 2, 28 through 31 is talking about in 32. And we'll talk about that. Those verses are actually chronological. They're chronological verses. Peter is saying these things have to happen before the great and the notable day of the Lord come. What has to happen? Signs in the earth. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke, sun being turned into darkness, moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. He's saying these things have to happen before the Lord comes. So Peter knew exactly what he was doing. Peter was referring to the second coming. Peter was looking for the second coming. Peter and the people were expecting the second coming. Now look in verse 21. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, bear in mind, <clears throat> Joel 2, 28 through 32 is chronological. For example, first the pouring out of the Spirit had to happen. And then it was going to be followed by signs and wonders. And then it was going to be followed by Daniel's 70th week, the blood and the fire and the vapor of smoke. And then it was going to be followed by the second coming of Christ, whose millennium, who during whose his millennium or the millennial reign of his or the millennial the thousand years of his reign, people will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So yes, that last part is speaking of what will happen during during the <clears throat> the millennium. It is not for the church today. It's not for the church day. It could not <clears throat> have been referring to Peter's day either because Peter and the apostles were still under the law. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? I mean, that's what Peter thought would happen. That's what Joel 2, 28 through 32 prophesied would happen. And again, that's what should have happened, but it didn't happen. And then notice in verse 22, <clears throat> Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved to God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also. No. Notice still, Peter is addressing ye men of Israel. His point here is that Jesus was approved by God. How? Because of, because of the miracles that he had done in their midst. Remember Paul <clears throat> to the Corinthians, he said, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Jews require a sign. Why? They were people who were led by sight. 
And God was giving them the sign gifts. He was giving them these signs and these wonders. Why? To prove that Jesus was God. To prove that Jesus was their Messiah. But if you notice here, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, a man approved God among you by miracle signs and wonders, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. Peter, what he is doing here, is he is placing the blame fully upon the nation of Israel. He is forcing them to a decision in regards to what they had done in regards to Jesus. Like a good preacher, <laughs> he's headed toward the altar call here. He's headed toward the altar call. And then notice in verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. In other words, this didn't take God by surprise. Oh, they rejected him. Now they're going to kill him. Again, this is where many get lost in the weeds. God had already determined Christ's crucifixion. It was not optional to the narrative. It had to happen. Because he was delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. And he says, you have taken and by wicked hands you have crucified and slain. God in his foreknowledge knew it was going to happen. God in his predetermined counsel knew it had to happen. After all, they had it had, they had to crucify him in order for the kingdom offered to be legitimate. Doesn't that make sense? Makes all the sense in the world, world to me. All the sense in the world to me. Now notice in, uh, in verse uh, 24. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. That he should be holden of it. In other words, you can't blame Pilate. You can't blame Rome. You killed him. And I find it interesting that the body of Christ is never accused of killing Jesus. The body of Christ did not put Jesus on the cross the nation of Israel put Jesus on the cross. They crucified their Messiah. Yes, we received the benefit of that. Yes, by the shedding of his blood, all of that. But we are not accused of killing Christ. Only the Jews are accused of killing the Lord. Now, notice in verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him. And, of course, the him here is referring to Jesus. David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Now, David, or Peter here, is quoting from Psalms 16, verses 8 through 11. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. 
Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, Peter is quoting from the Old Testament to show them that their actions were actually fulfilled prophecy. He's quoting to show them that their actions are actually fulfilled prophecy. To show them that Christ had to die. To show them that Christ had to be resurrected. And again, this was a fact that the apostles had overlooked. The apostles did not see the cross. The cross blindsided the apostles. They never saw it coming. You remember in Luke chapter number 18, when he took the twelve and, and, he, and he said unto them, Behold, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written uh, by the prophets uh, concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, and he will be spitefully treated and spitted on, and they're going to scourge him. But the third day is going to rise again. And the very next verse is, and they understood none of these things, for this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. It went right over their heads. They didn't grasp it. Now the word hell in that verse is, that's another Bible study. Um, um, it's actually what's called a transliteration. Uh, but it, in Psalm 1610, it's speaking of the grave or the world of the dead. So did Christ go to hell or did he go to the grave? Um, that's another study um, for sure. I mean, uh, and we'll, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. Maybe that'll be a good uh, topic for another day, but I know if I go down that road, I'm not coming back. So <laughs> now look in verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. Again, he's referring to David, that he is both dead and he is buried. He's in his sepulcher and he's with us unto this day. In other words, he's still there. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that by the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not to be left in hell, neither his flesh would see corruption. So Peter here continues to prove that David was not writing about himself. His point is that David saw the Messiah being raised up to sit upon his throne, which is the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, the promise that God made to him. To be raised up, he must first have to die. In other words, David prophesied that the one that would sit on his throne one day would be raised up. And again, it's speaking of his death. He had to die so he could be raised up to sit upon uh, David's throne. And then he says in verse 32, This Jesus has God raised up, 
whereof we are all now witnesses. Okay. And he's saying, you guys know this to be true. You saw him after he rose from the dead. During those 40 days between the resurrection and ascension, you are witnesses of these things. And he says in verse 33, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see in here. Which ye now see in here. Jesus was no longer in the grave, but sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is why what they had just which is why what had just happened happened. <laughs> the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, that many had blamed on their drunkenness. Therefore, being at the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, this thing that you're witnessing right now. And he says, For David is not ascended into heaven, but he himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, Set thou my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Now, <clears throat> Peter refers to another psalm at this point, Psalm 11. And again, I've said this before, I believe that all of the Psalms are prophetic. Um, he's referring to Psalm 110.1. And the Lord said unto my Lord, set thou my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool. And why is he doing this? To show that the prophecies were not about David, but the prophecies were actually about Christ. So he says in verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same that same Jesus whom you crucified both Master and Messiah. He's made him both Lord and Christ, the one that you crucified. Again, notice the accusation is against the house of Israel. It's not against the church, or at least the body of Christ, the, the church of the grace gospel, because there was the church that we're in was not there at the time. So this accusation, and again, remember, when, when the word church is translated, it always comes from ecclesia, which is a gathering. And that gathering could be in a synagogue, it could be outside the synagogue, but many times the King James translators just translated it church. For example, many will go back uh, when the Lord said, Who do men say that I am to Peter? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Upon that rock I will build my church. And people will say, See there? Peter, first pope. No, he's talking about a Jewish church or what? I now refer to, and many refer to as the kingdom church, is what he's talking about there. Now, when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do now? <laughs> I mean, they are now convicted by the accusation and asked, what do we need to do now? You got us. We're, 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 our consciences are convicted. They've been pricked in the heart. 
that literally I studied that one time. It almost speaks of almost like a cuticle, you know, when you when you're cutting your your fingernails and you go back to the quick, you know. I mean, it just they were so convicted by what had just happened. He said, what shall we do now? And then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, that ye shall receive, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, anyone who can read can clearly tell that Peter's response was not one of grace. He did not say, you must believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Instead, he said, you, every one of you, need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Remember, the offer of the kingdom required national acceptance and not just individual. Therefore, anything less than every one of you was not enough. It was not enough. Now, on the contrary, that is very different than what Paul preached when Paul and Silas prayed and sang in prison in Acts chapter number 16, verses 25 through 31. Very different. Because then he told them they only needed to believe. He didn't say they need to repent. He didn't say they need to be baptized. He said, you just need to believe. Paul's answer was nowhere near Peter's answer. Paul just, Peter said, repent and believe. Paul said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So it has to be understand, understood that while under the gospel of the kingdom, which Peter preached, national repentance was required. However, under the gospel of grace, which Paul preached, it was an individual belief that was required. Unbelievable how this has confused so many in the body of Christ today. We are under the gospel of grace. We are not under the gospel of the kingdom. But as I posted some time ago on one of my Facebook pages, uh, today, what we say is repent and be baptized so that you can believe by faith. <laughs> um, we have taken the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace and we've meshed them into one, which Paul warned the Galatians is no gospel at all. Now notice in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. At this point, many will assume immediately that this verse is referring to Gentiles. See that part? And to all who are afar off. Immediately, we assume he's referring to Gentiles, but not so fast. We are still in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. Peter had not been introduced to Cornelius. Paul had not been converted. Paul had not been raised up, let alone received the mystery so those who are afar off could only 
have been understood by Peter and the others to be Jews who were still scattered to the nations as a result of the diaspora, which refers to Jews who were living outside of Jerusalem. So when he said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, in the Great Commission, and the latter chapter of Matthew, he's talking to Jews about going out and reaching Jews. And that's why I contend that that is not the commission of the church today. That's not the commission of the church today. The commission of the church today is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ <clears throat> that Paul laid out in Corinthians. Now, notice in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and in prayers. So as a result of Peter's message, <clears throat> only 3,000 received it, about 3,000 received it, and were added to the assembly or to the church, that Jewish church there in Jerusalem, and they continued to grow there in Jerusalem. Now this is not to be confused with the body of Christ that would later develop under the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And bear in mind that this offer of national salvation to Israel, not individual, was being rejected. 3,000 was not enough. I've read a couple of numbers. There had to have been hundreds of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. That number alone shows many still did not believe. Many still mocked. Many still doubted. Even when we get over into Acts chapter number 4 at Peter's second sermon, we're told that another 5,000 or another 2,000 received it. So that's 5,000, possibly 8, depending on how you, how you translate the verse. Either way, it's not enough. It's not national repentance. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. So now we see that those Jews who had responded to the kingdom message, which is repent and be baptized, are now aligning themselves with the apostles' doctrine. Now, as I've stated, many will contend that this church is the same as the church that you and I are part of today. However, that cannot be drawn from the text. And I have heard and I have taught many sermons on this verse as being the basis of a healthy church. But I have noticed that I conveniently ignored the following verses in regards to the selling of everything and having all things in common <laughs> in verses 43 and 45. I mean, if we really believe that this is the body of Christ, why aren't we doing that? Not very convenient. This is the kingdom church. It is not the body of Christ. And in verse 43, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You know, it's interesting. Nowhere in the book of Acts will we see the miraculous being performed by anyone other than the apostles and those who were closest to them. So fear came upon every soul. They were afraid. 
And then many wonders and signs were done, which is the fulfillment of Joel 2. And all, in verse 44, that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So everyone who believed the gospel of the kingdom were baptized under the, that teaching and they sold all of their possessions and divided them up as every man had need to make sure that no one went without. Why? Why would they do this? And again, in my past life, I've read over things like this and just never hit the brakes, never even tapped the brakes. Why did they do this? Because they felt they no longer needed it. They felt the kingdom, they just read, they just heard Peter quote to them, Joel 2, 28 through 32. They were expecting at max the second coming to be seven years away. That was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And that what Daniel had prophesied was going to start happening. They began immediately looking for the tribulation. If you read 1st, 2nd Peter, that's what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that's what he's talking about. Jude, that's what he's talking about. Jesus had also warned them about material goods. I mean, he told them in Matthew 19, I say unto you, the rich man, the rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Also, Matthew 19, 21, and he says, And every one of you that has forsaken houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wives and children and lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. They were doing what they were told. They were selling everything, preparing for the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then I'll close here, verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Notice that they did not abandon the temple. They did not immediately go down the street and start the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Okay? They did not abandon the temple. They did not abandon everything that happened within the temple, i.e. sacrifices. Why? Because they were never told to. Okay? While the new assembly had been born, which was the kingdom church, a new dispensation had not. The dispensation of grace had not begun yet. It could not have begun until the Apostle Paul. They were still living under Old Testament law. They were still living under Old Testament law. I think we're just going to finish this out. We're too close. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. Now, obviously, a period of time had passed since Pentecost. And they were <clears throat> they were now in, in the favor of the people, and the kingdom church was growing. 
The phrase such as should be saved on the surface sounds Calvinistic, but it speaks to the fact that all of Israel was to be saved after they had accepted Christ as their Messiah and the kingdom was accepted. Um, saved from what? Well, he says, back up in verse 40, from this unto word generation, from this unbelieving generation. Um, Albert Barnes points out that it would be more accurately those who were being saved. But I don't have a problem with it either way. I mean, the, the nation was going to be saved after they had repented. So they were praising God. They were having favor with all the people. And of course, we know this is going to change. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved or should be saved. If the nation of Israel had repented, I mean, the latter part of that Joel, that Joel 228 that we were talking about was that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> That's chapter two of the book of Acts. Um, I am still very much working on this program, um, using this, and um, unfortunately, I haven't figured out how to use it and um, see your comments. So it's causing me just a little bit of hesitation, and I guess we just I just need to work on that. Um, maybe some of you guys are um, good at that stuff. Um, and if you are, uh, I'd love to maybe sit down and talk to you a little bit about that. But in the meantime, uh, God bless you guys. And uh, remember, I'm going to take all of this. Uh, I'm going to place it on SoundCloud. I'm going to place it on my blog with the notes. It's going to be on YouTube, and of course, it'll be here on Facebook. And please feel free to share it as the Lord leads you to do so. And uh, uh, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great week, and I pray that you stay healthy. Uh, be smart in regards to social distancing, and uh, hope you have an awesome Lord's Day. And um, remember that God loves you and he wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.